Welcome to the Living It Up Podcast. This is the Living It Up Podcast, where we explore the changing landscape of competitive golf. In this episode, we discuss a rained, shortened Pebble Beach Pro-Am, while Liv finishes under the lights in a playoff, and the continued comments flying around about the SSG investment into PGA Tour Enterprises. But first, this episode is brought to you by Bdratty, the leader in performance golf apparel. Bdratty makes the softest polos you'll ever wear, as well as ridiculously comfortable quarter zip shorts, t-shirts, and even boxers. Their colors and fabrics are all naturally aged by the salt of the ocean for that perfectly lived-in vibe. Head to bdratty.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. This is And Brian. let me say I- that with, with Bdratty, I want to I just want to throw in here, not only is it all the things you just said, but when the pressure's on, it keeps you nice and comfy. I was wearing Bdratty on Saturday when I did it after about 37 years of playing golf. Our boy finally broke through broke par for 18 holes and had Bdratty on all day and could not have been more comfortable under the circumstances. So uh, I am now burning all of my other manufacturers that we will not speak of and replacing my entire closet with nothing but Bdratty. Hardy, hearty congrats to you, George. I know it's been a tough struggle being under par on the back nine on Sunday so many times, but got got, got it over the finish line. We'll, we'll later ask Billy how old he was when he first broke par. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is Brian. I'm joined by George and PJ Tour winner, Billy Hill the third. George, let's kick it to you. We had this weekend two 54-hole limited field no-cut events. Which one do you want to start with first? I mean, let's start with Pebble. Um, it it was I I think I was I was definitely hoping that the weather would not be so severe on Sunday that they could have played. I was hoping for it looked earlier in the week like Sunday. The storm was actually supposed to come through like maybe Thursday, Friday initially, or even into Saturday a little bit. And Sunday looked like it was going to be like sustained 25 mile an hour winds. And I wanted that so bad. I mean, that on an Oceanside course with those kind of winds, um, with so many exposed holes, it's like NASCAR and an ice rink. And I would have loved to watch that, especially like, what are they going to hit into seven? How are they going to hit these shots? What's 18 going to do? Um, and, and so obviously the weather there uh, actually, you know, sort of prayers out to the the people of the the Monterey coast and, and most of California coast, because they are just getting pounded. Um, the, the tour made the right call by not trying to stuff it in today. Basically mother nature intervened. And so, you know, you got to tip the cap to Wyndham Clark. He went out and shot 60 on the most opportune day possible to basically put it away um but the i mean and the other reason why losing sunday kind of stunk as a fan is ludwig was looking really good and you know guys shoot 60 chances of him shooting another 60 very slim so you know obviously you assume Wyndham comes back to the pack a little bit on uh saturday on sunday <coughs> excuse me maybe shoots like a 68 or something but Ludwig is a kid who can go low, so maybe he gets caught. You know, it seemed like it was setting up for a good chase. Um, although I will say, looking at the leaderboard as it ended, I'm not sure exactly that that's what they envisioned when they set out with these signature events. Uh, I think Matthew Pavon took third uh, on on Saturday, and Thomas Dietrich was still hanging around. Uh, a few other guys. Not a whole lot of the uh, the mega stars that you would 
have expected uh, up at the top for for an event like this? Yeah, with with all the big dogs in the field being the first big signature event of the year, the leaderboard was not maybe what many had had uh, expected going into the week. And I, I agree with everything you said there. I think George, I, I held out some hope that we were going to see, you know, some some crazy wind and rain and and some very creative shots and maybe you know somebody that barely breaks eighty and, and holds on. But I think as the as the day went on and it was clear that they were going to have you know gusts into the fifty and sixty mile an hour range. Clearly, you can't keep a ball in the grain. All of us know that watching the the Open Championship, once you get these seaside links courses where you can't like you know keep the ball at rest, they've they've got to call it. Unfortunately, it can't just be one of those like knucklehead rounds with a a guy's trip where you just you know brave the elements and and go out there anyway. But you clearly have to compete. Um, it did make me think, Billy. Like, what what is the craziest you know conditions that you've played in where borderline? You know, you were like, what, what are we doing out here? And and what is that? What is that threshold? Like, is it enough guys complaining? Is it the ball coming off the green? Like, what, what is that line? Because we were obviously had exceeded it. Uh, Pebble on Sunday would have exceeded it. Yeah, I think mostly it's about the ball staying at rest. That's that's kind of where the, the wind comes into play. Certainly for the rain, it's about puddling. It's about casual water relief having to be moved to the rough. That's kind of where that starts to get where it where it becomes unplayable. Obviously, puddling on the greens is you know becomes unplayable. But uh, from from a win perspective, if the ball will stay at rest, we're gonna we're gonna keep playing. And the other part to me, Billy, and I'm curious if this has ever happened or if they've considered these things in the past. When they know that rain and and high winds are imminent, is there ever a consideration like you know we did have a a, a limited field, eighty players, the amateurs were not playing on Saturday. You maybe didn't have enough daylight to get everybody around for for thirty six holes, but is there ever even a nod to like, hey, let's let's play the back nine again and and try to you know get more holes out of this championship because it, it felt almost inevitable that they were going to call Sunday and maybe they were still holding out hope for you know we'll finish on Monday and maybe that's the reason why not. Yeah, so there's never really a pull it forward play if 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 that makes sense. Um... You know, we, we've had a couple of like kind of rain shortened events over the years that were kind of almost predetermined, right? It was a FedEx Cup event back in New Jersey where there was a hurricane coming. And so they called it at 54 holes and just got everybody like out of town on, on Saturday night um, before the hurricane came. I think that was 2014 or 2015, something like that. Um, and then... Here, here's how it works from, from a tournament regulation standpoint is the Monday is a day of play. It is a totally open, full-use day every week on the PGA Tour. The nuance on Monday is you cannot start the final round unless you have a reasonable expectation that you can finish the final round on Monday. So you can play into Tuesday, but only in an unexpected scenario where like you start Monday morning, everything looks fine and you get some weird thunderstorm that, that comes out of nowhere that wasn't forecasted or that you were hoping was going to be a 30 minute thunderstorm that turned into a three hour thunderstorm. And so you, you know, have to bring 20 guys back on Monday to finish or to, from Monday into Tuesday to finish the final round. So that's where the consideration came down to is, is they knew that they had to start the final round by 10 15 local time on Monday. 
to be in accordance with the tournament regulations. If they couldn't start by 10-15 on Monday, then they couldn't play at all. Yeah, and, and I mean, I was on Twitter just saying that the guys should have headed to the, the pro shop, bought all the zero restriction, and get out there and make it happen. Obviously, when the, the sheriff uh, gets on the, the horn and says that we are in a state of emergency and, like, everyone basically shelter in place, that's that's clearly unplayable and not the uh, the players being soft. Yeah, and I think there's a PR angle to that as well, right? When you, when you have kind of the state of emergency like situation, even if it were playable, it's probably not the right thing to do to go out there and, you know, compete while other people are potentially competing for their lives. Well, and and not only that, but obviously to, to put on a tournament, you need a number of non-playing bodies who are there in a number of roles. And I don't think you could have safely gotten all of those people, the volunteers, whatnot there, and putting the fans aside, just the, the volunteers necessary to walk with the groups, to be there for the rules, all of that stuff. It did not sound feasible in any way. So um, the, no knock in any way on the tour for, for not being able to get this one done. Uh, Mother nature clearly, I guess more of a live fan because did not seem to interfere with that event. And I mean, I think, when you see that the TGL tent got blown down and then, you know, this event gets done. I, I mean, I think you just have to a certain point, the universe is making a statement and, you know, and, and when they have the opportunity, uh, live Mayakoba stood up and delivered this week. Yeah, there were definitely, you know, following golf Twitter as George and I are want to do, there was a, a lot of chatter about, about that very thing. And that is it gave, you know, mother nature sort of, you know, dampening and rain shortening pebble beach, allowed a lot of people that normally would watch golf on a Sunday to just, you know, out of curiosity or skepticism or love or hate, whatever it, whatever it drove them over there, just morbid Ad addiction curiosity. to watching golf on a Sunday. Yeah, exactly. Addiction to watching golf, you know, found their way over to the CW and, and were watching and you had to give a nod to the impressiveness of the leaderboard, right? You look down and you've got Rom and you've got Sergio and you've got Brooks and you've got Cam Smith making a charge. I mean, very much, uh, you know, was a compelling, tournament as much as you know there was a funny angle that they put in place and and it was a, a nod to us actually we had had a great conversation with jerry foltz about why all four scores have to count and that was you know supposed to make the team play more interesting it turned out to to not be the case and in, in the sense that john rom's team kind of ran away with it and there was never that much you know podium uh switching to be had at least at the top end of the podium uh, but the but the individual play was was really compelling with a lot of, you know, John Rahm kind of, you know, spitting the bit to a degree down the stretch, but also Sergio rallying from not making a lot of putts to finally making a few putts down the stretch. And Yako Neiman, I mean, uh, for those of you that watched the playoff, the guy literally hit three drives in a row that you could have put a blanket over top of. They were worried that he was going to go into his own divot. So he was clearly locked in and then gets it done with a birdie on the fourth playoff hole. Um, you know, what say you, George, about, you know, the, the live experience, uh, this time around season two or three, whatever we want to call this, have they started to figure things out? This episode is brought to you by B Dratty, the leader in performance golf apparel. 10 years ago, B Dratty started out on a mission to make superior performance golf polos. They traded shiny synthetic fabrics for soft, organic Peruvian Pima cotton and kept the details clean and simple. Today, Bidratti still makes the softest polos you'll ever wear 
as well as ridiculously comfortable quarter zips, shorts, t-shirts, and even boxers. Their colors and fabrics are all naturally aged by the salt of the ocean for that perfectly lived-in vibe. Head to bedratty.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. Thanks to our friends at Bedratty for their support of the Living It Up podcast. Yes, they, they, they continue to get better. Um, the counting all four scores on Sunday, I think is it. I mean, this year it probably won't necessarily have, hopefully it will help bunch things up. But the reality is, is you see on some of these teams, when they show the team scores, captains are going to think a lot harder on who that fourth person is on their team, because I have a hunch that you're going to see kind of the same person every week, kind of dragging the anchor on the on the teams um one one has to wonder how brooks and graham mcdowell will get on um graham seems to have put on chase kepka's shoes and is not exactly uh or even matthew wolf's shoes on that team and not the greatest contributor um the the four aces having all four scores that got a little tricky there um so we're, we're gonna have to see what's what's going on with it but to get the playoff to do it in the dark to be like we're hang on, hang on. Before, can, can we just bask in the all four scores counting yes. i know we already did this on twitter but like can can can, can we just like we did take it. a victory we lap on this one as a team here yes we did it again i mean we've been pushing for it it made all the sense in the world you're paying these guys a ton of money like make them play some golf so i i think it was a truly like it, it's a great first step. I do have to say that we've talked about it before with the broadcast and we've talked about probably why having been on site that the speakers are really close to the camera towers and everything else, that the music really comes over the broadcast. And I, I do, I do have to say, I side with the people who say it detracts and it, it's just so different than what we're used to. I think it takes, that probably takes the longest to get used to because it's still golf shots. They're still counting them all. As we saw with Yako, they are playing by the rules of golf. Like take your club out, measure one or two club lengths, whatever he was supposed to do. Mark with your tees, take your drop, do it right. Or there are penalties. You know, Slugger White has not uh, dulled his pencil for, for being meticulous with this. And, and so like, that's all very positive, but the music definitely it just it's i have not gotten used to it and there and maybe are audio, and there's audio engineering that can happen to to actually make this you can you don't have to get rid of it entirely but you can take that ambient noise and you can dial it down like this is not an audio engineering challenge that cannot be solved so this is a self-inflicted wound i i think it's okay to have it there it's okay for it to be part of your brand but to have it be distracting in key moments when the commentators are like, you know, trying to to set up the context of a birdie putt and all you just hear is like, it's just like, they can fix that. It's, it's, it's baffling to me. I mean, on site when, when we've attended, it was a low level background noise that was kind of like, okay, that's fine. But to have it interfere with the broadcast is just, it's just silly. It's a self-inflicted wound, like you said. Yeah. yeah, and, and, and I, that's exactly what I've said. Is like when we were on site, it was, in my opinion, it was no different than you know, you're on a hole and a cart one hole over 
has their their speaker going and it, it's not like hey can you turn that down it's 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 just there it, it is not it honestly sounds less loud on site than it does on the broadcast and the other you know kind of comical thing is that when you look at some of the scores particularly of the first day uh, there were reports that Montezuma's revenge was uh, alive and well and that some of the players were feeling under the weather and I was just looking down sort of the, the bottom end of the leaderboard Peter Uline on a day when when Yako Neiman shot a 59 uh, was eight over par uh, that day you, you do feel for those guys that may have gone down and just uh had a little uh, little little tap water out of the out of the hotel and decided not to you know just drink the mineral water or bottled water yeah it's a that's a self-inflicted wound too if, if if you go in for tap water but um you know that place can just get you though i mean like it, it's it's kind of you hit it in the fairway or you don't find it i mean that's kind of that's kind of the golf course and 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 the fairways are fine. There's not really, you know, there's one or two that kind of. What, what would you know? What bit. would you know about this course, Billy? This but, is a live hit and oh, giggle. Oh, it's a live beer, course. I'm sorry. This is not. A, it's a, they're never yeah, playing no, real. No, places. no, I've never played on live. That's true. I don't. Yeah, that yeah. must not must not did, be the same one. That when did, when did you when did you play? Did you go on like vacation down here and play it? Yeah, I guess it was like vacation where I earned FedEx Cup points or something for a couple of years. But oh. um, like you know, yeah, because they you know they used to play that other tour in Mayakoba one, mm. one of the other ones that that was my favorite commentary on uh Yako Neiman shooting shooting 59 is people would be like these aren't real courses and I'm like wait checks notes yep uh played some uh, PGA Tour events there and also at the Greenbrier where Bryson shot at 58 so uh these, yeah well these, now uh, Stuart Appleby shot 59 at, at at Greenbrier and yeah I think Scott Stalling shot like 60 you know I mean so but but so there are now, I I mean, just hat tip to Yako for 59 around that place. I mean, it, it, it's that's a that's a great score, doesn't matter where you're at. And I think it's really good there. It's just not that easy to hold putts. You know, the, the greens roll like 10, 10 and a half, maybe. They're not super smooth um, because it's that pass palum, you know, on the ocean kind of thing with a lot of wind on the holes. We were talking about the ball not staying still kind of thing earlier. So, I mean, yeah, 59 is good anywhere. I think it's really good there. I, I, Speaking of that, this... when these notes, when, when these were going around with like the 59s and then they're talking about all the other scores, for all the records and all the things he's done in golf, how bananas is it that Tiger Woods does not have a 59 in competitive, in a, a PGA round? I'm sure at some point in his life he's he's blown through 60. But in a PGA Tour round, how bonkers is it that he does not have like a 59? That just tells you how rare it is, I think, really. I mean, obviously, it's happened more in recent years uh, th than it has in the, you know, previous 25 or, or whatever. And, and God bless the rollback because we'll never see it again. <laughs> it's not coming back. It, it is wild, though. And I think, you know, these guys are obviously playing at the highest level. But a few things I think you could look back at a, at a, at a sub 60 or even like a Wyndham 60 and you would just say certain things just went well. Like you made a disproportionate amount of those, you know, 25 to 40 footers that, you know, you might make one of those in a day. And I think Wyndham had some preposterous feet of putts made. It was Wyndham like 200 must have made 400 putts in the front nine. I went through his scorecard I and mean, I didn't add them up exactly, but it was like 32, 27, 25, 19, 36. I mean, it was incredible. That was just the front nine. Yeah. I, I'm going to look it up because it was some preposterous number of feet of putts made like 200 and something. I mean, he was, he was a 10 under through 11 holes. And that was when I turned it on just for him to 
almost make a double, actually made a 30 footer for bogey on the he 12th. He chipped hole it in. There. That was from the fringe. Yeah, I mean, he did putt it, but it was technically putt it, from yeah. the fringe. Yeah. Just, and just down like, the stretch, I mean, I did like feel for him because down the stretch, like his last three putts were all in the jaws and to all, like one of them was like one roll short. And I was like, come on, man. Like, you got to yeah, go yeah, get this. Another, yeah. 18, he had like what a, yeah. a 30 footer or, or something. And it was like a foot and, short, but it was yeah. in the jaws. Nearly, like he was, he saw the line all day. Oh, nearly his third eagle of the day. I looked it up. 190 feet of putts made, feats of putt, feet of putts, whatever you say, 190 of them, including 40 footers for eagle on numbers two and six. So got off to a See, blazing hot start. And, and that's even a little misleading because of the one on 12, where he did make like a 25 footer that was from the fringe. So that's but, not it. I wanted to, before we jumped off of Pebble, you know, this was the first time that they did just the, the pro, the AMs playing the first two rounds. You know, I tuned in Saturday and watched the the back nine or most of the back nine for Wyndham Clark's 60. You know, they they made an homage to the some of the AMs and showed some highlights from the first and second rounds. Talked about how Rory, along with his partner, won the Pro-Am competition. But it was not the traditional, you know, Pebble Beach program where we were seeing Bill Murray and, and some quarterbacks and sort of it almost seemed like on the weekend in the past, every other shot was sort of an amateur in 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 the in the shot, at least on Saturday. Oh, uh, we saw plenty of Tom different. Brady's tee shot. Uh, yeah, I was going <laughs> to say a lot we, of Tom Brady's tee shot. Didn't take long to follow. <clears throat> no. <laughs> and, and a funny story about that one. Uh, there's a golf chat that I am on. Shout out to uh, to Mike Petty, who was actually the guy that posted that one on on Twitter. I'm on a golf chat, and some guy said, "Hey, a buddy of mine captured this video. What do you think about it?" And the guy, you know, within a half second, was like, "I'll tell you what I think about it. I just posted it on on Twitter." And then that thing had just like minute after minute of virality, everyone was uh, was coming at him and it was on ESPN and they broke down the whole thing. It was it was actually like a, almost like a short film in this clip because you see the ball just kind of trickle off the tee and then you you, you shoot back the, the video camera to Tom and he looks pretty embarrassed about the whole thing. So uh, a hat tip to, to Mike Petty on that one because that was, a, that was a really, really funny video. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't know. Like I go, did we miss the AMs? I don't think we did, you know, as you want to watch golf. And it's it's one of those things where when you had Bill Murray doing the shtick and Ray Romano and you, you knew you were going to catch some of that, like you just knew what you were in for. And so I think, you know, I I can go both ways on this event. Um, I think on the one hand, if you're if this was kind of the one, two events a year to sort of get the casual fan and they're you know significant other to to hang out and watch golf because they can point to someone they know and be like oh wow that's how they do it you know i can i understand the point of it but at the same time you know it's pebble beach it's you know you could are people will argue that it's one of the top 10 co courses in the united states you know obviously u.s open history all kinds of things we should have our best players sort of playing their best golf without a sideshow attached to it um which brings me to the other issue of with the weather at this event this time of year they have got to move this thing they they just got to move it to some other time in the year like it is too important of a course to let all these external factors be the storyline and not hey, we're going to go use one of our most iconic U.S. courses to identify the best golfer this week. Um, so I don't, you know, 
We, we've talked so about it in the past. You're probably going to have to work with the Pebble Beach company to do that in 2028 because every week there is scheduled through the end of 2027. At this uh, point. And, and I know so and it, it's your, gonna... your hands are tied, but I mean, to that point, like what would we rather do? Watch guys just melt out of their dockers in Memphis in August or play Pebble Beach when it's 71 and perfect. Um, yeah. It, you know, in a world where, you know, the PGA tour started as a, a barnstorming town to town endeavor, there had to be a lot of thoughtfulness around like how that traveling circus moved from state to state and within the state. In a world now where you theoretically would have the flexibility of bringing the top players to where it made sense, you know, we've often said, like, why not go to the Pacific Northwest in the summer when it's beautiful out? Why not go up to Wisconsin and Michigan in the summer when it's just gorgeous? Why not hit up California and the Monterey Coast when it's in its glory? Yes, there's still like a traveling circus element to it, and you can't just totally go crisscross around the country. But it does make you wonder in a world where theoretically in 2025 or six or seven, we can redo all of this. Should we just rethink the the rotation of these things to maximize, you know, daylight and what have you? Uh, No question. I mean, to your point, and I know I think it's been redone or fixed up. And so I'll use Chambers Bay as the what would be the northwest course. And you go to Chambers Bay. Can we pick any other one? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I was saying. Sahali, okay. gotta, yeah. <laughs> go go back to Sahali, go wherever up in the Pacific Northwest, and you have daylight until 9 p.m. So you have nothing really competing against golf. It's summer. You can run these events in prime time and showcase like these great events. You know, summer the TV is reruns on the networks anyway. Like there's nothing going on in August. Like bring these West Coast events where you're going to be able to have more primetime golf on the East Coast, still where most of the viewership is going to be just based on population density. And and you can do really cool things to to showcase this and, and to put it out there. Yeah, you're gonna have to totally reschedule and I get it, right? Like if you were to simply just say, let's do Memphis this week instead of Pebble Beach, well, it could still be. 38 degrees in memphis right now so you can't exactly say like oh well we can just flip these like do, do we move the florida swing to february and then do we do you know maybe california further into march april i i don't know what the answer is because i know these guys obviously getting ready for uh the masters like they kind of want to get used to courses and greens that are be similar to the masters and all that like i i get there's some there is some algebra that has gone into this and some thought as to like how the tour moves. But I mean, we, we've got to do something because you're just squandering a lot of, of what I think is great eyeball time by not taking advantage of these places. Yeah. A, a lot of things we won't fix here, but I think we're all aligned that, you know, if there's a, a future state where we can think really thoughtfully about what the schedule looks like, they do well to think about, you know, where there's light, where there's good TV windows, where there's, you know, great weather in each place. I wanted to go to a, another thing, which is, and I'll talk about the the twilight. And I have a proposal, which is in these events, not the majors, but any other event, should there be a lit playoff hole? And what I mean by this is this happens on the PGA Tour from time to time, where we get these five and six and seven hole playoffs where we're chasing daylight. And here, there was this funny moment when they turned to Sergio and, and Yako Neiman and said, you know, hey, it's kind of up to you guys. Do you, do you want to come back tomorrow at 9 a.m.? And 
the crowd was chanting one more hole. There was clearly not a lot of light out there, but the the green was lit up by the the large scoreboard. You know, these guys were striping it down the fairway, so they were able to find their find their tee balls even though it was low light. But it made me think back to the very first match with Phil and Tiger, and that you had this final green that was all lit up under the lights. And like, should there almost be a designated, uh, almost like Legend of Bagger Vance style, where we can artificially light a playoff hole just in case? Like, why make everyone come back? You know, George has talked about the army of people and volunteers that it takes to actually stage these events. You're asking all of that to come back on Monday morning at, you know, 8 or 9 a.m. And again, not not saying we should do this for the U.S. Open, but Billy, tell me why it's a crazy idea that we should, you know, never let a playoff get impacted due to daylight. Well, I, I, I think it's a I think it's a dollars and cents thing. If, if I'm really looking at it practically is how many playoffs are we talking about a year, one or two? you don't know where they're going to be or when they're going to be. So you've got to stage these lights. You can't just bring them in, in the heat of the moment. They don't move like that. So you kind of have to like build them on top of the grandstands or something like that as a feature that you could turn on when, when required. So it, it kind of feels like a little bit of a superfluous line item in the budget to, to could it just be a, a par twice. a par a par three in that sense, right? Like, all right, once daylight well, it's still hits, still got to be there. The though, I mean, it's still and... got to be every. I mean, the problem is, is you have to do it forty four weeks a year and use it twice. I, I like where your head's at. It's just a guy, it's just a guy gotta... can dream. A guy can dream. <laughs> Sorry to be practical. Bringing all this practicality into it, but but the other thing that I wanted to talk to and, and George, I'll kick it over to you. Yako Neiman, you know, survives this four-hole playoff, makes a birdie on the fourth playoff hole over Sergio Garcia. He's interviewed, and the very first thing he says, you know, after they say congratulations, is he says, "But I'm not in the majors," and he actually is in the Open Championship based on his victory just before Christmas at the Australian Open. But Yako Neiman playing well, you know, had a pretty good year on Live last year, wins this event. He is clearly miffed by not playing in the Masters. Uh, he tried very hard uh, this this past year to play in a lot of DP World Tour events and events overseas to, to garner enough OWGR points, but he sits outside of the top 50. What say you, George? Does he, does he deserve an invite? So, I mean, I, we, we've talked about this, and there's a, the, the OWGR not ranking live sort of in my opinion just it it does diminish the OWGR um and i you can you can effectively just type OWGR and click send on twitter and then step away and have a million notifications it, um and it it's not worth going around i you, you can argue both sides you know have valid arguments on it and so you know i i come back to where we always were it's just math Mark Brody validated. It's just math. Like you can just plug this in. If we can give 54 holes to the Pebble Beach tournament that had no cut, then we can do it for live every week. We can do it for the, you know, we can we can give points to the hero. And granted, they fixed the the glitch, so to speak. So the hero doesn't really get as many points, but it's all strength of field based. So how strong is the field? Run the numbers, spit out the data. Um and and so like i i do feel for for waco you know someone pointed out that dj currently is like the 223rd ranked player in the world he no he's not 
Yeah, I, I, I promise you, if you go ask everyone ranked 220 to 225 and be like, hey, are you you and DJ, you're pretty even? And I'm like, oh, not a chance. Uh, so the, the, the thing is, is the longer it goes and you've got John Rahm, who's just going to fall like a stone in the OWGR. Um, are, are we really to believe that that his career is over and he's just going to be 600 in the OWGR by, you know, December of 2024 or 2025, I mean. Uh, so they, they've got to either the OWGR figures it out or Liv talks to the majors and figures out a criteria for acceptance and spots in the majors based on Liv performance. And isn't this he, all going to get sorted out? Like once the PIF invests into PGA Tour Enterprises, isn't this all going to get sorted out? I mean, the majors in well, the OWGR just just decided to say we're going to wait. You guys figure it out. We're going to wait. Here's the, we're going to do here's everything the thing. we can to just kick the can down the road. And once y'all figure it out, we'll figure it out too. But here's the thing: the majors can do that because they'll just say we'll we'll give exemptions. If the OWGR all of a sudden says, "Okay, we'll figure it out now that everyone's made peace." Like it just shows that the last three years was complete waste and they have to, if they are like, all right, we figured it out. They have to retroactively go back. They have to like figure this out and, and get it square because again, now everybody's in this for-profit thing together. So everyone wants to maximize their whole value. So it's going to raise all the boats. So the OWGR has kind of painted itself into a corner where if it says, Oh, there's peace. Oh yeah. Yeah. We can do it now. Like, well, you guys are, basically full of shit because you could have done it all along. We all knew you could have done it all along and you just didn't. Um, so I think really if everything comes together, the majors figure out criteria that allows people on live to qualify through live. And I think the OWGR just goes away. Cause it's, it's really, there's a guy on, uh, on Twitter who's posted it that I think the OWGR really only fills based on his math and i haven't double checked anything yeah it's but... like 10 to 10 to 16 percent of the field yeah, isn't so... otherwise qualified yeah so it really the owgr itself may not have much of a purpose anyways and if the majors figure out through live basically this other 10 percent of their fields or whatever it's going to be or five percent then the owgr is now down to filling you know five to eight percent of a field and is it really necessary at all so i i think the net effect is the owgr has played itself and is diminished and is going to stay diminished yeah this this tends to happen it seems like with just one or a few players last year it was taylor gooch and we had this conversation about whether or not he should have been in the u.s open based upon his eligibility criteria and how they had changed that you know, in this particular one, you know, by any measure, whether that's the the Tugger, the Universal Golf Ranking, or Data Golf, or otherwise, you would put Joaquin Neiman in that top fifty in the world category, right? So, by any objective criteria, you would say he deserves to be there. It does make me wonder the Masters just being the entity that it is. Not that they would in any way, you know, cave or or succumb to pressure. But they they invited the NCAA champion. I know that's like an homage to, to the amateurs. And they've invited people from, I believe it was Japan. And you guys may be able to fact check me when that person was not otherwise qualified, but they were one of the top players 
you know, in the Asian tour or, or the top Japanese player, not otherwise qualified. And it makes me wonder if they would look at his victory, if they would look at his victory on the Australian Open and say, hey, we're not going to invite, you know, everyone in live, but we think his play deserves uh, an invite. You know, I, I hold out that they could reach that conclusion. Do I think it's likely? Probably not. But, you know, they could. Well, they can do whatever they want there uh, on Magnolia Lane. That's kind of what they. And they're not going to get strong armed. That's right. So do I think they'll do it, Brian? No, I, I agree with you. I, I, I don't think they will. Again, I think that they just are, they'll just wait and see how this whole thing comes back together. And, and then they'll, you know, adjust from there. Now I have, a, I do have a theory on this. Like it not a hundred percent tinfoil hat time, but hear me out. You know, are it seems to me that Magnolia Lane, its significance in the sport and everything else. And now we talked about like when would they announce a deal? When would it work? Wouldn't it be pretty remarkable and just solidify Magnolia Lane's, you know, perch at the top of the golf mountain if they in fact did say you know what, we are going to invite, like say Waco wins or Yako wins uh, Las Vegas this week. So now we've got like two kind of big wins um, and and they're like, you know what? No, 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 he he should be here. We We want to have the best. We want to identify the best. And, you know, we're, we'll talk about it a little bit later with, turns out a few extra people stowed away on Jay's plane over to uh to saudi arabia that if the deal to bring everything together gets signed at the masters you know on magnolia lane and and they get to get a green jacket they get the they well i mean that takes time that takes does jay even have a green jacket yet so i mean like it takes time um and fred ridley gets to say it was just time to bring everyone together and we decided it was time. Is, is that crazy to think that that could happen? It might be the most Augusta national thing ever. 100%. I mean, it's not crazy. I mean, it's not going to happen, but it's not crazy. Yeah. It would be one of those, like, you know, we could do whatever we want. And so we're going to show you that we could do whatever we want type moves. So I, I, I do like it, George. I do like it. Before we move off live, and I want to talk about some recent comments that came up in the wake of the SSG investment into PJ Tour Enterprises, I did want to tip the hat to one Caleb Surratt, 19 years old, recently turned professional, finishes T13, a strong four under par final round finish for the Legion 13 team, John Rahm's team, who in their debut as a new team and, and John Rahm being uh, the in some ways the face of, of live golf for, for now. Uh, they do win the team competition. So hats off to them. But let's pivot to these SSG comments. And I want to read to you some of the things that Rory, uh, not Rory, in this case, it was actually Jordan Spieth, uh, outlining his new position on the SSG deal. He said, the idea is we have a strategic partner that allows the PGA Tour to go forward the way it's operating right now without anything else with the option of other investors. I just think it's something, it's almost like not even worth trying to talk about right now, given the second, how timely everything would be to try to get it figured out. 
George, what say you? Is is Spieth being a, a a mastermind and posturing behind the scenes, or is this just uh, spouting off on things he ought not spout off about? This is I left college as a sophomore. Um, like he should not. If we've seen anything, like why would you dare poke the bear? And and I will say I have a hunch. And and again, like if SSGNO is just announced, he's on the board, so he probably had an idea of how far along it is, everything else. But if I'm SSG, who's just basically said, I'm putting $3 billion into this thing, I am having my people reach out to the PGA and the PGA board and all the players and say, shut the hell up. We'll talk. You don't talk. If it has to do with a future-looking statement, or anything about the status of the investment, we will make the statement. You defer. Do not talk. Do not talk off the cuff. Do not think and do not come up with your own ideas. Because honestly, if I am, if I'm, if I'm Piff, and I think for one second I'm getting a little like crazy Ivan on this deal, I'm opening the checkbook again and just gonna go poach someone else and be like, guys, how long do you want to do it for? Because I will chip away at your $3 billion investment and make it nothing. Because there is, we just talked about the, the OWGR and the majors and all this stuff. There is a critical mass that live reaches where the, the majors and everybody has to like say, okay, we got to get it back in. Like we, we have to have them or else we're just another tour. We're just a PGA tour adjunct event. We're no longer the major. And like why in the world would Jordan spout off and say something which I think was just absolutely asinine. Like, no, you cannot go it alone. What you have is effectively rescue funding because you were probably pretty close to broke and closer than anyone wants to talk about to broke. And this allows you to not go under. Like the PGA tour was backstopping purses because sponsors weren't ponying up the full amount for signature events. We, we know things weren't great. So don't talk, let SSG do all the talking going forward. I presume there probably was a very polite yet like direct memo sent out to people saying no more talking. Yeah, as someone who's been in a bunch of deals, like you just don't comment on these things, which made me go back and forth. I felt like I was watching The Princess Bride and the guy was doing the, the poison thing. I'm like, well, maybe he knew he wasn't supposed to say something, but it was like a trial balloon on something. Um, no, maybe he's not that smart. Maybe he is that smart. Maybe he was double, you know, strategic with everyone. Like, well, no, could this be? not yeah. that smart. Yeah. No, and, I think and, his, and his sentiment was like, we don't need more money. I think is what he was kind of trying to say. Jordan was like, we don't need money now. We have the money we need to go forward. And then I think it finally came back around to like, but we do need unity. Okay. So yeah, we need to, we need to, we need to kind of do, do the thing. Um, hey, Jordan, what you need to understand is you're going to get equity in your event. My suspicion is that somewhere buried in all of this language, is going to be that for each additional investment, part of that investment will be distributed to equity holders. So your, you know, shares in PGA Tour enterprises that you're getting will have a value, but no liquidity. 
And the only way you're going to realize the value from those shares is a subsequent investor who comes in knowing that part of their investment will be distributed to the existing equity holders, i.e. you and your tour players. And if I'm, again, like you could start getting into the chess game. I mean, we, we, we do know that Phil is playing a chess game that has at least, I think, 42 moves. We don't know where we are yet in which move we're at, but they could be like, well, we're just going to wait on this. And a bunch of players who all of a sudden get their stock and run to the Bentley dealership, you know, as bills come due from I'm rich. They're like, where's our money? Like, oh, no, no, you have your equity. No, 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 no. Not only is there no money, not only there will be no money, there will be a tax bill. Well, as it vests, yes, they are going to learn real fast. <laughs> so there oh, will wait, be wait, no wait, money, what? but there will be a tax bill. Yeah, wait, what? Huh? What is it? Oh, so, and which is is curious, like we can we can kind of, um, you know, we talk about this SSG thing. Turns out that Jay did not go to Saudi Arabia alone. Um, also on the plane with him was John Henry of SSG. And uh, I think a couple other people, whether it was Fenway Sports or some of the other investors that are part of this SSG thing. And there is absolutely positively no way these people go on the plane to say, thank you, but no thank you. We just wanted to shake hands and say, we're going our own way. So this SSG investment is definitely step one. And, you know, based on hearing that today, my suspicion is SSG is going to run this enterprise. They are going to staff it. They are going to be the things. Yasser may, in fact, be the chairman or eventually have like a, a seat at the top of the table. But these guys are going to be the ones staffing it. They're going to be the ones doing everything. And don't forget that SSG and the people who run it have a huge appetite to get into sports and a lot of things. Now they are poised to become best friends with a group who has all the money to satisfy an appetite to get into sports and lots of things and who want to get into sports and lots of things. So Jordan... I think is way off base with what he thinks. If, if you take those statements at face value, these guys at SSG have realized they found exactly what they need. And, you know, there's a great old adage. You don't get rich spending your own money. And they found somebody who wants to spend a bunch of money. They need a friendly face to open the doors, to get that money in the doors and this is a match made in heaven. And yeah. so this is what we're going to be seeing. Yeah, we we had speculated, I think rightly so. We'll see in the fullness of time that the SSG was never going to make a deal if they didn't think that PIF was, you know, imminently going to partner with them on that deal. And the fact that the SSG guys were on the plane in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia tells me that they were going over to solidify that and to figure out, you know, what is the sequence of events how do we have to first set up the corporate structure set up the equity holders then you know again we've talked about this you know the, the PIF invests in a lot of American entities and yes does that have to go through regulatory oversight yes but it's going to be a lot does easier it, for does, those I, things everyone it, says it but I, I I am I fail to see we have foreign investors in all kinds of things 
Like if you are investing in something that is going to engage in like lobbying and you have to fill out FARO forms, yeah, you got to do that kind of stuff. I, I fail to see everyone who says this regulatory, regulatory, no one has pointed and said a specific thing that actually is a thing. No, there's definitely like foreign investment acts and regulatory things that would kick in whenever there's a foreign entity that's investing in any like U.S. owned operated business. But that the fact that they will set up this corporate entity and it will be primarily backed by SSG and they will be participating equity holders, I think just greases the skids. And I think, George, you've said it from the jump, like they've been hiring very expensive lawyers on the PGA Tour side. These are guys that have set up corporations they know how to do this. And so they've done their due diligence on if we bring PIF in, how can we do that in a way where it will survive regulatory scrutiny? It's not to say it's going to be some long protracted, you know, quarters long, years long thing. It's not like a merger or acquisition in that sense. But there are, whenever there's foreign investment in, in US owned corporations, there is a regulatory hurdle you need to clear. And so I think they're putting in place the but it's not some unknown that. hurdle. I mean, Correct. you know, it's just paper. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah, filling no, no, the forms. No, it's just, so, so, so this is just like, it. this is just the posturing in a sense of saying like, well, you know, we still have to do this and we still have to do this. And it's not a done deal. And, you, you know, because frankly, you know, the tour one has to get buy-in from the membership at large that they've just done a good deal. Right, that the SSG is a good idea, and it's not just a good idea for Tiger Woods and Roy McIlroy and Jordan Spieth. It's a good idea for player 120, you know, for player 150, for whoever. It's a good, it's a good deal for everybody. So they think they get buy-in for that. So, so, so they'll get that and they'll figure that out. And you know, let's call it 80% of the people will will be happy with the deal. Um, then they've got to get the membership on board with just this Saudi Arabia investment idea, what that's going to look like, where that's going to go, how that's going to, you know, happen. Cause you're talking about golfers don't like change. Okay. We, we are humans that, that operate on routine and monotony repeatability. And so now you throw in change that came from two years ago, back to June 6th, back to, all these other things back to now this new entity, PJ Tour Enterprises. Then you're going to throw another investment at it that's going to change in some way. Maybe it doesn't change anything about PJ Tour Enterprises other than a board seat and more money that comes there. But then you're going to have like the question of like, well, why are we partnering with Saudi Arabia if we if we don't have to anymore? What what what's the point of doing that? You're going to have all these things. So they're really just buying themselves time. They're really continuing to try and say, we don't have to do anything. We're only going to do what's in the best interest of the membership and trying to, again, get some of those talking points, you know, out there that will make it all seem more palatable when it comes together. But I think Brian said it right, you know, that this is just a part of the order of the opera order of operations that's going to happen over the next, is it three to six to nine months? I don't know, but it, it, it a PIF investment is 99% inevitable to me. And, and no, these I, things I are governed, 100%. these things are all governed by like the ITA and the USTR. Like I, I was looking up what foreign direct investment into the United States has been historically. I'll set the over under at $5.25 trillion. 
And you'd be right to say that's the exact number. It's not an over under. <laughs> $5.2 trillion foreign direct investment Awfully into the U.S. I know, I know. But but even in even in which, 2022, which is, it was $6.8 billion from the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia of foreign direct investment into the United States. So yeah, which happens, shows you that approved. this, which also happens to show like this congressional hearing was just the dumbest dog and pony show that we've ever seen. Like it, it's just the, it is all the song and dance and all this nonsense. It's going to happen. And I mean, I think if if the people who are in charge here in SSG and like I think they are very, very, very smart people. I think the PIF has hired very, very smart people. They can see that the people, the golf fans are like enough, right? Like either kiss and get married or go to war. But this song and dance that we're doing is is got to stop because uh, it just gets tiresome. Even on Twitter today, people are going bonkers. Wyndham Clark said, well, I, I chose my legacy over, over live. Like, no, you didn't. You gave a number. They said no. And you're like, all right, well, I'm not coming then. And so you both said yes, if, and neither of you were willing to do the if. Like, don't, it, and I said this on Twitter today, like th this is like a guy who's married, who goes to a bar to meet a girl and she doesn't go home with him. So he goes back home to his wife and he's like, no, I chose my marriage. Like, no, she said no to you. And, and you're like, no, I've, I've made the choice that I, I'm like, no, no, no. You were ready to go. If they put the right number across the table, you didn't like the number and you came back. Like, just say that. And he basically did. Cause he, his exact words were, I'm on the PGA tour for now. Yeah, it was it like, was a funny right, choice choice of phrase because if you read the whole, you know, comments, if you read his his stuff, he's like, Oh yeah, of course we were chatting. And you know, I we proposed things this way and that way. And I, I chose to stay on the PGA tour because I still want to do this and that. So it was it was just a funny thing. It proves that, you know, in, in golf Twitter or perhaps Twitter in general, you, you don't you don't win any arguments. You just uh you just egg people on in in, in some way, shape, or form. I did want to go to, and, and we can we can choose to hop on or hop off, but there were some waste management WDs. Uh, George, are, are any, do any of these uh, catch you as uh, striking in any way? Well, I mean, I'll say this. They are striking only because, as we record tonight at 9.30 on Monday night, neither Xander nor Victor have issued an actual statement as to why, like a direct statement. There was, I guess, a Norwegian reporter that is tied into the Hovland camp who basically said that Victor still just wants to go work on his game. He's not happy with where things are, so he'd rather do it, you know, not in tournament play. Could be completely reasonable. It it begs the question, like, what what are you doing overhauling your game? You were the most ascendant player on the planet last year. What are you doing? And and the the crazy part is as the early part of his career, his short game was just a disaster. He starts working with a new coach. His short game becomes a strength of like, this guy's getting up and down from everywhere. And that was the guy he jettisoned. And it, it's a real head scratcher. Like I, I, I hope, cause I do like Hovland. I think he's a great player. Just, he's got a good vibe. I hope he's on the right track and making all the right choices here. But so I, Based on that report, at least there was some report from, I don't necessarily say his camp, but someone who has 
routinely been correct in his thing. Um, yeah, and I'll just say one thing on the Hovland thing. I just happened to run into Victor over the winter down in Orlando, and uh, he was he was working with Grant Waite, who's um, Australian guy, played on the tour, won, won once or twice on tour in the 90s, and he, he's coached a lot of players along the way here, and and he's really, really smart. Grant is really, really smart. And one of those kind of early track man guys who like understood all of the numbers and all of the, you know, dynamics and forces on the club and, and those kind of things. But, and, and I like Grant, he, he's a nice guy, but he's never taken a great player and made them better. He's taken some good players and made them better but he's never taken a great player and made him better. So that, that, so I'm kind of with you, George, of like, what are you doing overhauling the thing, you, you know, as, as Victor Hovland coming off of winning the FedEx cup last season. Yeah. And, and now again, with this SSG stuff put out there, the, the equity split and saying, well, we've got 930 million to, to spread around over 180 players. You know, you don't have to, you didn't have to get past your sophomore year in college to start doing some cocktail and na uh, napkin math and realize that that's going to get gobbled up really fast by a handful of people up top. And if, if you potentially have a very, very big number sitting out there from live, that is going to be cash plus a team plus this understanding of like, well, the SSG guys actually went to Saudi or like the deal is going to happen. Like it, it's going to happen. So why wouldn't you, why wouldn't Victor take the cliques? Why wouldn't Shoffley take his, call it 90 million, you know, 85 million. Like he's got to probably be worth more than Hatton, but maybe not, you know, worth a hundred million for a major win. Although he does have the, doesn't he, did he win the Olympics? So he has an Olympic gold medal. So he has he has a little feather in his cap. Um, I won't say a little. It's a pretty big deal. But the the issue is like, all right, so he's going to get a big, like, why wouldn't you take it knowing that by the time balls are in the air in 25, there's probably a path back in um, to, to make it happen. And candidly, some of these guys, I, I do truly believe if they go, whatever is going to happen, will just happen faster because like the, the point will be, this is, this has to happen because the SSG guys will realize like we, we're not going to have the equity stake. We think we have, if we don't have the players and, and so like they'll move faster, it will all move faster. We'll see. We shall see, but Liv is heading to Las Vegas and there's one other thing happening in Las Vegas. So I wanted to get us on the record I want you to tell me over under how many times will Taylor Swift be Is shown Taylor Swift during the and Super Bowl? Travis Kelsey are they getting married in no, Vegas? No, 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 Saturday no, 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 no. So there, I, it's it's that time. It's one of the greatest times of the year, Girl Scout cookie season here in the United States. And at my coffee shop, there was the table set up. They're selling the Girl Scouts, and they had a like a board, kind of like taking a tally as to like will Taylor be there or not. And then one of the girls was like, her concert will end at like 9 or 10 p.m. in Tokyo. It's a 13-hour flight back, but only like an 11-hour time difference. So 
she may be able to get there for the second half, but she cannot be there for kickoff. And that assumes she can get from like the arena, like immediately to a plane, which having she, she tried to get from a hotel back. to the airport in Tokyo, you cannot do. Like it takes a hot minute. Helicopter. Having ha- having missed my flight, I can tell you for sure as I'm in the taxi with Delta being like, uh, sir, will you be checking in? I'm like, I am trying. So I, I would say she will not. Unfortunately, well, she I doubt that her end. jet makes it there in without a stop. Her jet's got somewhere in Oh, she would Hawaii charter the big or, dog. or Alaska no, she, to to refuel to get or whatever. But she would charter the big dog that could do it. Come on. No, no, I know it. I know there's planes that can do it. I'm just saying. Her That's what I'm saying. Can. So she'll charter the big dog and make it happen. Um, but I, you will not see her for kickoff for sure. I would take that bet a hundred times out of a hundred. The other thing I saw on Twitter today about the live event that will be Wait, in Las breaking Vegas. news, George. They just moved the concert time up in <laughs> Japan. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, by the way. Speaking of all of this, and Lord knows what Twitter will do now that we've brought Taylor Swift into golf, but, well, at least to this. So she's releasing a new album in April. New albums need new songs, and she writes about breakups. So are we actually more... Do you know who was not at the Grammys last night? Travis Kelsey. Uh-oh. Trouble in Paradise. And I, I have I mean, heard the flight a lot from of... Los Angeles to Las Vegas is all of about 37 minutes on the plane. He would be flying post event and the team arrived in Vegas. He could have totally done this and he didn't. I think we've got a smash hit and, uh, you know, selfish boys don't keep the prom queen. I have heard a lot of, you know, chat GPT uh, induced lyrics about the breakup and how the Swifties are already ready for the breakup songs. But there are all these prop bets. I'm seeing, you know, what color lipstick she's going to wear. What is she going to wear a hat? Is she going to wear his uniform? She, There's is, all these. Does she have another shade with... of lipstick? Yeah, no, she probably doesn't. not. Probably not. And I don't but want to hey, get you, but that's you want to get bad, good odds. not a great color on her. <laughs> I, um, but no, and she if she's there, she's going to wear something made by, uh, well, this would be the weird part because they'll be playing each other. Um, who is it? They're on the 49ers, Usechek's wife makes these famous, you know, the jackets made out of jerseys, jersey jackets, yeah. shirts, things, um, designer for all the girlfriends of all the players around the league. So would Taylor wear one to the Super Bowl against that team? I mean, that could be Ooh. Ooh. just so many angles here. Um, but speaking back to the golf that we played, Liv will be in Las Vegas. And there was someone who pointed out, if you are betting on that event, which are the players you think you 100% want to avoid for gambling purposes? I.e., they will be taking in all of Super Bowl week at Las Vegas and basically being like, oh, shit, I have a tea time. I got to go. Yeah, perhaps Brooks, although he he, he takes the party after, after the event is over. Huh, who else? Now, do you have uh, H- to get your bets in, though? I want to know, do you have to get your bets in before the last round starts? Or is I mean, there it are before a lot of they cancel the third round? Or is <laughs> there, cancel. like, what if they don't play? Does your bet from Saturday night count? Like, ooh, we got yeah, lots of problems with DraftKings, too, on this. They, they did run into some of that. Although I, I did hear someone, like a guy that I follow who's who's a – He's a bookie on online and he pointed out, he's like, if you placed on Saturday before they canceled your Wyndham Clark to win bet, 
you know, even if it was at minus 150. And I and guess they were plus guess, 200. They were going off at plus 200 for Wyndham to win. Yep. Yeah. So there were, there were guys coming in kind of the whale being like, there's no way they're playing. I'm smashing this. And I, I will side. I very rarely will side with the house on this, but I think the house was a hundred percent like, no, 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 no balls in the air. You will return your money. No action. We're done. We're not honoring that bet. If there was no balls in the air, but I, I would say actually, I like, I don't know if, I don't know if Yako is a partier. Um, I, I kind of think I like Patrick Reed. I feel like he's just going to kind of be a lone wolf doing his thing. Everyone's going to be busy. I mean, you have to imagine if, if Liv does not pack this thing out with a million celebrities and the whole deal, then it is a gigantic major whiff for everything that they're doing. I did see that there is going to be a party hole. It's basically a par three, you know, a lot of grandstands around it that look straight out at the wind resort. Uh, that's the only picture that I've seen of, of the, uh, of the action in the party hole. Yeah. I'm with you, George. They've, they've got to pack this one in at, or at least have a rowdy, you know, uh, back nine on, on Saturday, since they are going to wrap up on Saturday this week. Uh, but I want to hold your guys feet to the fire about the, the big game, the Super Bowl. betting line favorite right now. The 49ers are minus two, but I want your straight up bet. We'll go to you first, Billy. Chiefs and Tay-Tay versus the 49ers. Well, when you make me lump in a country pop singer inside of a, a bet, I don't know that it's the same bet, but no, I I, I can't go against uh, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. I think they're going to win. Whether, whether Taylor makes it there or not, I think they win. So I am going to go... I think I'm going to take the 49ers. I fully agree. You cannot go against Patrick Holmes nine times out of 10. They didn't score in the second half against the Ravens. Like they, they were figured out and the, the 49ers do not have Patrick Mahomes, but at every other skill possession on offense, they have the superior player. So I am taking the 49ers. Um, and I, I, I do. And also I think Kyle Shanahan has learned a lot and he's a super smart coach. I, I just feel like they are going to win and Patrick Mahomes does not have the players around him on offense to, to let him do all of the Patrick Mahomes things he should be able to do. Yeah. I, I'm going to go with the 49ers. I think this one comes down to Brock's Brock Purdy's play and decision-making. He's had moments, he's had drives in the postseason that looked pretty shaky and that makes me question this bet, but he, he seems like him combined with Shanahan is going to have this thing schemed up to where even if they throw some pressure at him, he's going to get the ball out, out quick and he's got the weapons around him and they've got a, you know, they had a week off. There were some health issues, but I think uh, with the extra week, they're going to be primed and ready to go. Yeah. And let's not forget the 49ers. You have, you know, Lamar Jackson, you have Patrick Mahomes and probably the third most explosive player in the NFL is Christian McCaffrey, who is on the 49ers. So I, that's, I think they just, they just have a little extra, to go get it. Well, well, I thought with our final segment, uh, you know, Billy and I were just going to head out and let George talk, you know, holes one through 18 of his, uh, you know, under par round. And, you know, with that, I'll, I'll let you guys go. We're just going to pass it over. Yeah. To George to take, smooth, take us out of here. smooth three George, iron yeah, off the tee on the first you, hole. You know. Yeah. Just like, so I'll just start with the temperature, what I was wearing, some beach ratty. I was great. Now I, as much as I could probably go through all that, I will spare everybody other than, yes, it was my first time breaking par for 18 holes. 
Um, and all right, well, second... how, how many birdies, how many bogeys? We, we talked at the top, you were one yep. under on 18, so or you were even on 18 T, you birdied 18, but like, how, I had... how many birdies, how many bogeys? That's and then, and then we'll move on. I very simple, I had three birdies and and two bogeys, and probably the the, the like the deciding thing was on our like 14th hole off the tee splashed it in a pond off to the right but i had like 106 yards in and stuffed a wedge and made par and moved on so no no blood um and and then everybody wants to know george how many five footers did you take in this round i don't think there was any five footers given there were definitely a few three footers given um we were playing a, a game with and everyone i played with no one broke 85 who i was playing with so you know to and no one had any clue like i was like on the cusp of it on the 18th which was perfect right because no one's getting weird or being like oh i don't want to say anything um and so it was i have to say having been i talked about it a few months like last month or in december i was one under on the 18th tee proceeded to make bogey i do have to say for anyone who's chasing it trying to like make that first one go through um standing par on the 18th was way just less pressure it was like all right cool if i hit two great shots then i've probably got it's a it's a reachable par five so like if i just hit two pretty good shots like this is probably in the bag and i will say i did hit 16 greens so that Ooh, you know yeah, that helps that helps that, that keeps but, it pretty but I, comfy but I, I'll, I'll get us I'll get us out of here on this. Congrats to you, George. But but as part of our club's Super Bowl tradition is the Super Bowl one club. And so, Billy, I, I need to know. I'm playing Ooh, the white right. tees on the red course, coming in at 2,734 yards. I'm looking at the scorecard right now. You know, in years past, I've gone nine iron. Sadly, it was not enough club to get home in regulation on a few par fours. Last year, I went six iron. Felt like I was a little iffy on, on, the, on the short ones inside of, you know, 120 I'm thinking seven iron, but talk me through why, what club I should choose and uh, how, how I'm going to win this one club on Sunday. So the first thing that comes to mind is how many front bunkers are there Ooh. on that, on that, you know, on that nine holes, right? Everything because, has a net. Because, you can run everything up. Okay. So, so, so we, so we can run it up. Yeah. I think you got to be in that, you know, you, you're going to get, you're going to get, screwed one way or the other somewhere in the eight seven six iron it's just a matter of how do you want to how do you want to give up the shots you know if you, if you take an eight iron and you can't get to a couple of them is that better than trying to have to chip a couple six irons from 110 or i i don't know i'm leaning i'm leaning seven iron right now and here's why we've got two par threes at 155 157 you know it's cold out ball's not really flying so i feel like that's a comfy little chippy seven iron for me but I, I think I can get home on all the par fours and the, and the par five, the one par five on that side is 473 yards. I think I can get home, you know, with three, three good seven iron strikes. Well, now you have to learn how to bone it off the tee, Brian, because mm -hmm. that's where it's going to go to the furthest. You can't hit it solid off the tee. You need to hit a line drive. There's a two iron in every club and you have to find it for this particular <laughs> move. You know what this does come down to though. And this is the one thing I will go to the practice green and putt is you got to find that little, like, are you, are you going to blade it? Are you going to chip it on the long ones? I tend to go with the blading and I always surprise myself that I'm actually better at that than I sometimes am, you know, with the actual flat stick uh, when it comes to the precision required to make it. Oh, I love there. the belly wedge. I love on, cause we have some scraggly, well, one of our, one of our eight, 27 holes has like these 
longer collars. I don't really know what we're doing with them. And I love the belly wedge, just getting through that. Just catch it right in the middle of the ball and just sort of like, duke, get it going. That's, that is, that is great. Speaking yeah, I think, of. I think it's definitely a, a bladed putter move with, with the seven iron. That, that, that yeah. much is true. You're not, you don't need to be trying to, to, to bump and run seven irons from 40 feet. Yeah. See, I'm debating because Brian's trying to be a little more surgical. I've, I've finished like what if 30 you just take one... three wood and hit that's it what I did every green and just I did... figure it out. I took three wood and the, the only problem with the three wood and it was a different nine we played that year is there was a couple par threes where trying to figure out how to like choke down and kind of chop that three wood was a little spicy and on this this well, that's nine, why i'm asking about front bunkers because if you hit a three wood in a bunker you don't come out <laughs> like i mean you so just you smash some work to do the uh <laughs> you hit it in there and all you got is a three wood around the but green this this one actually has this nine will have one par three where you have to cover a creek so mm-hmm. you do have to kind of like chip mm. it over that's the only real like forced I think you just Uh-oh. go long on that one, though. That's the thing. You just yeah. chip that back collar oh, that's and just true. chip from there. Because you got a million miles behind it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think because I'm debating three wood or uh, hybrid. Ooh, three wood's got me thinking right now, though. This is uh, oh, because three wood can get you home on a few of those greens. Yeah. Well, for for all of you that may be playing in a you know funny, silly season, one club, three club, four club, these are always fun. Hit us up on living it up pod on the twitters it's, well before we go brian like what do you think what should be the owgr points for a one club how Ooh. should they allocate that you know it's only nine holes so you play 72 you holes to, yeah it's, you have well, to it's, it's limited field it's points. nine holes there's yeah. no cut um there is prize money well there's shop credit probably um so i mean it, it is competitive golf one could argue even maybe at the highest level I, listen you've got to really create shots out there at the most creative level, we might say. Some call it the most prize possession, the prize, uh, you know, trophy that you could win in our club. We we but did have is... a guy win it with driver one year. Just pointing yeah. that out. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think drivers to play, but uh, I that, that's. I mean, you got to really have a control of the face if you're going to pull driver. Like, out. Well, I, out of curiosity, what wins this? Forty. Uh, no, no it's actually, it's 30, like usually 30, two. Yeah, usually two. Like about two over, over wins it. That's pretty good. Like, like gross. Yeah. But how do you handicap a one stroke? Like, yeah. Because if they handicapped it, Brian and I would be going off at like plus four. Like, we'd be toast. Yeah, white tees would get you there. These are always fun ones, though, and I and I and it often makes you so creative. I often, you know, when I, you know, I don't practice a lot for these things, but like you'll go to the range and you'll just take your one club and you'll kind of fashion some, you know, chippy cut shots and. I've even done the, uh, well, well, how could I hit a flop shot with a seven iron? And you get that, you get that, you know, oh, you bounce get the exposed. Down. You, get the you get the handle, handle you get the handle way down. You can, oh, you can get under it from the rough, well, not the fairway. I've, Don't try I've this. I've gone into the bunkers line. and figured out how to hit like a little, uh, you'll you come know, out of a bunker. No problem. It'll come out of a bunker. Great. Um, so these are fun and they show you like how creative you can be with, you know, fewer clubs in the bag. I know I've done like a winter set where you just take evens or odds, um, and it does, it does help you think more creatively around, around the golf course. Every time I've done that, I need the exact opposite one on the first fairway. It's like, could, could we just get like ease into the round, you know, with the even odds deal? You but know, that's you the- what makes it so valuable because it makes you learn to hit shots. I know.
All right, boys. Well, this was a fun one uh, for all of you in, you know, that we'll celebrate Super Bowl Sunday. I hope you have a fun time and we will cover it all next week. See you, boys. Thanks for listening to the Living It Up podcast. Follow us on the Twitters at Living It Up Pod. See you there.